On the podcast today, Alan Tate, a former European Tour golfer and professional competitive course record holder at Carnoustie Golf Links for 23 years. He is here to talk about life lessons learned through the game of golf, the ups, the downs, and defining moments that shaped his career. Andy Vasily. Alan Tate first picked up a golf club at five years old. His love for the game was evident from this very early age, and it was always his dream to pursue a career in golf. By the time he was 17, he was playing off a plus two handicap. And in 1986, he won the Scottish Boys Championship before going on to win the Doug Sanders European and World Junior Championships in the same year. That's very impressive. During his amateur career, he represented Scotland and Great Britain and Ireland and became only the fifth player in Scottish golf history to be capped at boys, youths and senior levels in the same year. Alan turned professional in 1990, but is probably best known for being the first player ever to shoot a 64, which is 8 under par, at the championship course at Carnoustie in 1994 at the Daily Express 72-hole Pro-Am Championship. Amazingly, this record stood for 23 years until none other than Englishman and Ryder Cup star Tommy Fleetwood went one better shooting a 63 in the 2017 Dunhill Lynx Championship. In this episode, Alan shares a marvelous story about being paired with 15-time major champion Tiger Woods and two-time Masters champion Ben Crenshaw, for a practice round at Carnoustie in 1995, a memorable round of golf that gave Alan the opportunity to teach Tiger and Ben a bit about how to play Carnoustie to help them prepare for playing in the 1995 Scottish Open being held at the course. Although success was hard to find on the European tour, Alan does look back at his experience with fond memories. He enjoys working for BBC Radio Scotland, commentating at events such as the Open Championship, the Scottish Open, and the Ryder Cups. Currently, Alan is the Director of Operations for the UK, working with Golfin. Golfin is a company focused on growing the game from grassroots through their educational program. My Pathway to Golf Coaching Initiative and also their award-winning equipment, which is designed for three to 14 year olds. It's evident as you listen to Alan speak uh, in our discussion today that he is super passionate about the game of golf and has nothing but gratitude for being involved in the sport for most of his life. So, with that, let's jump right into my discussion with Alan talking about early days in his life and the powerful role that golf played in really shaping who he is as a person and his journey. Thanks for listening. I grew up in Irvine in Ayrshire, which is on the west coast of Scotland, which uh, for the listeners, they'll be probably more familiar with Royal Troon, 
Golf Club, which is an open venue, and also Turnberry. So they're both in Ayrshire. So I grew up in Irvine, which uh, five minutes from Trun and about 35 minutes from Turnberry. So I, I grew up in a real special place in Scottish golf. You know, the, the, the west coast of Scotland is is well known for sort of great golf courses. So I grew up there as a young lad. Um, and for the last uh, 15, 16 years, I've been living in Scotland's capital of Edinburgh. Uh, I moved there with uh, my job at that time. So, yeah, you, we'll hear a little bit more as we go on. But but really, I, I, I turned professional back in 1990 with aspirations of getting on the European tour. Um, and then in 2000, uh, my career took a little bit of a... Um, a, a, a turn where I decided to get into uh, golf club management. So really for the last, uh, probably the last 20 years, I've been in director of golf roles and also general manager positions. Uh, but I've been thoroughly enjoying the last two years um, working for Golf and for Kids, um, which I know you'll speak about a little bit later. So, um, but been a great two years getting kids into the game from grass, uh, grassroots level. Uh, we also do um, we also have award-winning equipment um, for, for kids, and we do a, a schools program, uh, an education program, and also we have a fantastic My Pathway to Golf app. So I'm managing director of uh, golfing, so I, I help run the business, but also do a little bit of selling, getting out there as well, and going to visit schools and uh, golf clubs as well. So, so um, that gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of a background where we're at. Right, right. Okay, great. And <clears throat> let's jump into early days right now. And what I really want to explore with you is the role that physical activity and sport played in your life from an early age. So, so not just golf necessarily. We'll get into golf, but can you just share yeah. with the listeners the role that physical activity and sport played in your life from a young age? Yeah, yeah, very much so, Andy. Um, I would say my first love was football or, or soccer, as many of the listeners uh, know it. So, as you know, soccer, stroke football is, is huge in the UK. Uh, and, and it was always my ambition to be uh, a footballer. Um, but then, as uh, you know, and I played a little bit of tennis. So I, I did a little bit of everything, actually. But football was my first love. And then, and then you know, I, I sort of got introduced to the game of golf when I was very young, maybe five, six years old. Um, but a point came, you know, when I was early teens, maybe, you know, 12, 13, 14, where I was excelling at both football and golf. Uh, and it was really getting to the point where I really had to choose uh, because, you know, Saturday or Sunday, it was either golf or, or, or football. Um, so it was a tough decision um, because I loved my football. Um, but, you know, I, I saw the more I saw more a, a longevity career, a longer career in, in golf. Even at that young age, I recognised that it was a sport you could play, you know, right up until your eighties, your nineties. Whereas football, a very short career, or you could get injured very early on in your career, and your career's over. So, so I, I made the right choice, um, and you know, but sport was huge as I was growing up and. And again, Andy, the, the, the world has changed. Culture has changed. You know, you, you very regularly see kids playing out in the street anymore uh, in Scotland. And I don't know if that's the same all around the world, but it's certainly in the UK, you know, we, we used to come home from school and we'd run out and play football or play tennis in the, in the, in the, in the roads um, or we'd just go out on our bikes and, and drive around. And, yeah. and, you know, that was great and healthy and great fun, but we just don't see enough of that now. But, um, but yeah, sport was huge growing up as a kid, as it was for most of us. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've had Stephen Gallagher on the, the show. I've had Andrew Coltart. Um, and both of them talked about uh, a love of soccer, like football, and then having to make that decision as yeah. well, you know. So they yeah. obviously yeah. chose golf for all the right reasons. But um, can you talk about what sparked you to really take up the game of golf? Can you remember some first experiences and what drew you into the game? And and uh, what were some of the feelings when you think back to that time? What were some of the feelings connected to picking up a golf club for the first time? Yeah, well, my mum and dad played, and they didn't play to a high level. They were just social golfers. Uh, but my big brother played as well. And I used to just, you know, the three, my big brother was older than me. He was seven years older. And I would just tag along with them, mainly because they couldn't get a babysitter. So I had to just go along to the golf. And I used to sit in the, in the back of my dad's trolley uh, and go around with them. And, um, and, 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 you know, just through time, you know, can I have a shot? And I would maybe take a club out and try and hit it on the green. And really that was it. You know, that was me hooked into it. And, and um, you know, when my mum and dad and brother and my sister and I went on holidays, my mum and dad were always looking to play golf somewhere, as my brother was. So even the holidays we went at that time, you know, the golf clubs were always in the bag for mum, dad and my brother. And they, they, weren't, very, they weren't that competitive, but they just enjoyed their, their golfing golfing trips away so it was really more um it kept golf was introduced to me through family but it wasn't forced upon me at all it was just you coming out with us and you know they weren't rushing me away to a pga pro to get lessons it was kind of up to me just to, to go along with it i just enjoyed the fresh air I enjoyed being out there with my, my mom and dad and my brother playing golf you know it doesn't get much nicer um, and then just through time, you know, you start entering sort of junior competitions. And, and I've always been very, very competitive. You know, anything I do, football, golf or any sport or, or even in business, um, very competitive. So right away, as soon as junior junior competitions were introduced, then I really that, that took me to a new level where I then really wanted to start practice. And I just didn't want to go out and just jolly around with mom and dad and big brother and just hit, hit the ball for fun. It then became... Came a little bit more apparent that you know if I'm going to play this game, and I want I want to be fairly good at it, and I want to start developing. So that was how I got into junior golf, uh, and the junior golf again was was very very strong in, in, in my county at that time. A lot of good players, um, sort of teenagers. So it was very very competitive. It was quite high standard actually, which was great. You know you know there's nothing better to 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 improve yourself by by playing with others who are who are of a great level. Right. And when you think of those early days and, and developing a talent in the game, uh, as you said, it, it sounds like there was no pressure on you from mom and dad and that there was some intrinsic motivation to learn the game and to learn the skills uh, to support your growth in the game. Um, take us through how you really developed your skills without a coach. Did you really have a, a creative mindset and just learn how to tinker around and play different shots and shape the ball? Yeah. hundred percent, Andy. And, and, and I, I, don't, I don't, I never ever want this question to come across big headed uh, because the game did come fairly natural to me. Um, I, I, I was very natural and, and I picked, the club up and, and without thinking about it after a short period of time you know I could I could hit a high shot I could hit a low shot I could fade one I could draw one um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I didn't I didn't have to think about it I just 
I could see the shot going right to the left or left to right, and I would adapt my hands or my legs or something. I don't know what I did, but I, I knew I could do it naturally. Um, and that was that was great because, you know, I would go and play different courses and, and I would have the shots. And, and growing up in Ayrshire, where I grew up, you know, we, we do get a bit of wind here and there's a lot of links courses. So you needed to have an imagination and you had to, you know, see different shots, um, you know, and, and, and I love that. And I, and I still love that to this day, Andy. I still play, you know, pro-ams in Scotland. And, I, I'm, you know, I was 52 last week and, and I, still, I still pitch myself against younger players and, and there's still a lot of guys nowadays are so one-dimensional. You know, it's yeah. up and down and the ball flies the same way all, every time. And, uh, you know, so, you know, these great players that I, I play with now, even, you know, guys in their early 20s who I enjoy playing with and they enjoy playing with me because a bit of older head and, you know, and I, and I said to one of them one day, and he's a, he's a friend, and I said to him one day, you know, if we were to go over to that tree and I and we, I put a ball behind it and I said, right, I want you to hit a low fade and I want it to soar up and I want it to start moving into that back right pin position and sit low chase up and down. And I said, you can do it and I can do it. I said, the difference is I can do it without thinking about it. You would be standing there looking at a manual to yeah. see how to actually convert the shot but you would be able to do it. You would just have to, because they've never had to think like that. They've yeah. never naturally just, oh, I'm under a tree. I've just got to hit it left and up and back right position. And they do it without thinking. They don't do it without thinking because they're so programmed into yeah. up, down, turn, hit it, one way, down the middle. Fantastic. I'm not I'm not knocking that. That's wonderful. I'd, I'd love to have been able to do that. But you need to have all the shots in the bag. And I, and I yeah. was lucky that to say just growing up. And that's where I was wary of ever getting a coach. Uh, uh, even, you know, when I became 16, 17, 18 year old, I was playing off plus three, plus four, and I got there on my own. And, and and people you know people around me are saying you really need to get yourself a coach, and and, and you know, I, you know, I, what, you know, if I'd have been been a bit older, a bit more mature, I would have, I would have questioned that. But but you know, these were people who had been in the game for a long time. I think okay, fine. Um, and I started going to see a coach, and, and very quickly it was like you need to swing it this way, and yeah. you need to do this, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking why I, I'm I'm doing fine. It was almost this sort of done thing to do. You're now at a level, you need to go and see a coach. And I'm thinking, but I got to this level without seeing a coach. Yeah, but you need to get to the next level. And I would say the next level for me went back the way. Yeah. Um, you know, that that level went back for maybe 18 months uh, because I had a coaching. And again, I was working on things that my body or my muscles or my mind wasn't used to doing. Yeah. You know, like, you know, you know, I wouldn't you know, think yeah, and just, just what you're saying. Yeah, what you're saying is like getting in the way of the natural kinetic chain, right? And yeah. that's that's what we yeah. do when we think yeah. too much is that we break yeah. that natural uh, ability, that natural mindset that allows us to just kick into the kinetic chain without thinking. I love exactly. Harvey, Harvey Penick, you know, tells the story, you know, his little red book. And he tells yeah, the yeah. story about, um, I think it was uh, Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite. And how yeah. they wanted to learn how to play a high kind of flop shot. So Harvey takes a, a bucket of balls, goes behind like a 15-foot tree and said, I'll see you in a few hours, figure it out. 
Yeah. You know, and just, yeah. so just open the face and have to figure out how to play yeah. that shot and use the bounce and get through it. Um, so very much, yeah. you know, the game has lost a lot of creative, uh, that creative element. So I love hearing that story about yeah. how you picked up the game by yourself. And then it sounds like once the coaching kicked into gear, then that's what, you know, got you thinking too much. And suddenly that natural kinetic chain and your natural action was yeah. being, being, uh, Impacted negatively. Hampered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I, I don't coach Andy. I've, I've never taught the game really properly. I mean, it's been probably 25 years since I've actually given a paid golf lesson. And there's and a couple of reasons for that. I, I never enjoyed teaching. You know, when I, when I was doing my assistant pro apprenticeship uh, back in the early 90s, um, you know, my, my my boss said to me, look, you know, if you can do 10, 15, 20 lessons a week, you know, I'll get you some good money and, you know, and, you know, fine. And I hated it, Andy. I absolutely hated teaching. And and I think I hated it and because um, I didn't, I've never understood the golf swing myself. And I've, and I still to this day, uh, and I've had no desire to understand it because, I just want to go out and play golf and I'll, and I'll get the ball round in a way that I'm comfortable with. And, and, and that's, you know, so I, I always found it almost quite hypocritical for me to have that belief about myself, but then to stand there and preach to others, you know, stand like you're on a railway track with a, you know, that lined up there on a railway line and, you, and your shoulders and your hips have got to be square to the railway lines, and blah, blah. I never did that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so... You know, if somebody comes along and they, they actually hit the ball pretty good and they were enjoying it, I'm going, why are you here? Away on, away onto the golf course and enjoy 18 holes and find your own way around yeah. and find what it's like when you get stuck behind a tree or your ball's plugged in a bunker. Find yourself how to get out of these things, yeah. you know, and, and you'll become a better, more rounded golfer with more shots in the bag. I mean, who, 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 who taught Seve until he was, you know, Seve found all these talents on a beach using yeah. a three iron, yeah. you know, when he was a kid. And Seve could hit flop, sh flop shots with a three iron when he was seven, eight years old, you know, you know, and, and, and possibly with the greatest shot maker the game has ever seen. Yeah. You know, so who, who jumped in to say to Seve when he was seven years old standing on a beach in Petrina in Spain? Oh, no, Seve, you should be doing that with a three iron. Yeah. We'll show you what to do with a three iron. You know what yeah. I mean? Sebi would be like, I'm fine, thanks. I'm doing <laughs> yeah, okay. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, you know, so so again, wonderful shot makers. And, and even the, you know, could, could, you know, in their prime, in their prime, Sebi, Nick Faldo, right? Could Faldo couldn't hit the shots that Sebi hit. Yeah. He, he, he couldn't do them he, because he was so one process they're they're bang so rob, robotic you know and Sebi's like hit it I'll find it and I'll find a way to the green and I'll get on with it you know whereas Faldo was just you know and uh, yeah. you know so you know two two wonderful yeah. golfers but two completely two, two completely different golfers I love uh, yeah Amazing. I love Faldo's story about uh, Sevi. Uh, one year in the Open Championship when he was playing and when Sevi won it he said like he's it's Faldo's waiting on the green he can't even see Sevi anywhere because he's just off far away someplace. Just yeah. doesn't matter if he sprays the ball. He's going to find a way to get it to the green yeah. and get it in the hole. Exactly. And uh, so when I think of that, you know, we'll segue into, I want to know more of your days in the States, but um, do you know Dr. Carl Morris? 
Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. So he, my son, uh, was one of the youngest uh, people to ever graduate from his uh, Mind Factor training course, and which is really a, a yep, course yep. all about feel and really yeah. uh, visualizing what you want to do with the golf ball. And one of uh, Carl's things is like, you know, um, don't visualize, ask yourself, what type of shot do I need to hit right now? And the visualization will automatically come. So your, your visualization will Absolutely. be, will be the answer. And then it's just, how do I want my body to feel to create that shot? So that's everything that you're describing. And that's the work that he's done with Graham McDowell for the last 18 years. So it's all about feel and, and, uh, just creating the shots. So I want to, um, Alan, I want to jump into because you developed this game in Scotland and then, you know, I, I listened to one of your talks on, on YouTube and you talk about, you know, you definitely want to become a pro and that's, that's, you're, you're almost fixated on that dream and that's what's driving you. And then you end up getting a scholarship to the U S so talk about where you got the scholarship to, and then how your game changed based on the experience of playing American courses, which you're probably having to fly the ball a lot higher, um, yeah. so talk about how your game changed, where you went to school and what those years were like. Yeah. So I had a fantastic, uh, two years in uh, Texas, Andy. I actually, I won the, I won the Doug Sanders, uh, world junior championship in 1986. Uh, Doug Sanders, who famously missed a two, two yeah. foot putt to win the open in 1970. And it was actually his tournament and he was there the, the whole, um, the whole two weeks of that event. And uh, he came to me and my family, uh, my mum and dad, and spoke to us after I had uh, won the, the World Juniors. And he said, look, I really think you're 17 years old. I think you would benefit from going to, to the States on a scholarship. And, and to be fair to Mr. Sanders, he, he, he arranged that. He set the whole thing up. And um, I got into a junior college, uh, a place called Paris, Texas, which is uh, a little sort of hit town about... Uh, Oh, probably about 90 minutes drive from uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. So I went there uh, for two years, had a great two years, uh, graduated at the end of it with a, a diploma in, in journalism, which was great. Enjoyed doing media stuff, and that was fantastic. But but the um, I, I, I went there. I, I've said this before, Andy. I went to America in 1987 um, as, as a little boy at 17 years old, and I came back two years later, and I was a absolutely young adult. I had learned so much uh, on the course and off the course. Um, you know, learned how to look after myself domestically, do your own ironing, washing your own clothes, making dinner where mum and dad did all that for you. Um, and that was a fantastic experience. But the golf courses in Texas are some of the best golf courses I have ever played in, uh, until this day. And these are courses that you'll never have heard of. You know, you've got, you've got the famous ones like the Woodlands and all these places, uh, you know, but, you know, the goal, the stat Austin Country Club, where uh, you mentioned Mr. Harvey Pennick earlier, who, who coached uh, Crenshaw and Tom Kite. We went and played a golf tournament there. That is one of the, the best golf courses I've ever played. So, and these were tough golf courses. And you're absolutely right, Andy. I, I grew up sort of trapping the ball and, and you know, sort of leaning on it, trapping it a little bit of, like a laugh about, you know, a bit of a lean on it, keep it down. Um, and I grew up in that. 
And you're absolutely right. I went to the States and everything was through the air. You know, you're having to hit it over a lot of water. You're having to hit it over trees. You're having to fly it into the pin. There's very little bump and run. Um, but, but again, Andy, and again, and I don't mean this uh, to, to blow smoke up my own backside, but I, but I was able to adapt very, very quickly to that game. And, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, you know, within weeks, I'm hitting the ball higher than I ever had. The ball's landing softer than it ever had because I wasn't used to it. So but just again, lean, leaning, up, like leaning off it now, right? Just leaning off it and hitting up, yeah. hitting up the backside a little bit more as opposed to leaning forward and trapping it. And, and I still lean forward and trap it because it's a safe shot. And, and I've done that all my career. You know, I'm, I'm pretty straight. I'm, I'm a good straight hitter of the ball. Um, and that's just leaning on it, you know, maybe deal off in the club a little bit and just squeezing it out there. Um but you know, so yeah, as you said, I would I would just stay behind it a little bit longer and, and hit up the back of the ball a little bit more than hitting it, looking at the front of the ball. So it, again, I loved adapting to it, and um, I had a great two years there. I, I was their number one player very very quickly, and and when I left Paris Junior College uh, after the sec after I graduated. Um, I was only their second player in the college's history to receive the MVP, Most Valuable Player. I was only the second golfer in the college's 93-year history to receive that. It was always basketball players or, or baseball or American football. And that was a huge honour. Uh, and that was, you know, it was, I, I say, it was just a, a wonderful... I was very, very homesick the first month or so. And, I, and you know, I was, I was ready for home very early, but I hadn't given it a chance. And... I'm so thankful I gave it that chance because, you know, when it was time to come home, I was really quite emotional. I didn't want to come back to Scotland. I had some great friends out there and, and I'd love my time in America, but it was time to come home and turn pro. And, and this is the wonder, Andy, the wonder of Facebook and social media. I mean, I had all these college guys I grew up with, you know, this is, again, this is by... 1989 this is over 30, 30 odd years ago and you know we all said oh we'll write to each other you know we'll keep in touch and that lasted about six months and then we all just lost touch and we lost phone numbers and all of a sudden these guys are all back in my life you know we'll found each other on facebook and twitter and awesome. it's amazing to see them with our grown-up kids now and, and and it's really nice to to have them all back in my life so it was a great experience and i i, I regularly say to mums and dads you know you're your son or your daughter, you know, fantastic. And I, and I recommend to them at all times, if you've got an opportunity to go to America and, and you get the funding or you get sponsorship or you get a full scholarship, don't give it up. I know it's a wrench for the parents to say cheerio to their kids for six months, whatever, but it's a fantastic experience and, and they come back better people and, and better golfers. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a, an amazing experience. And if we were to um, kind of segue into your pro years, so you earned your tour card, and I, I listened to your story about taking out a loan, which was um, such a risk. And so it sounds yeah. like you were a real risk taker to kind of support yourself and to uh, continue to move forward toward your vision of playing professionally. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to know about your round at Carnoustie, and I know you probably been asked this a lot, you know. But you you held the course record at Carnoustie for 23 years. You broke it in 1990, 
for uh, by shooting a 64, and it wasn't until uh, Tommy Fleetwood beat it by one one stroke yep. in 2017. So can you, you know, by the sounds of it, you are obviously in flow that round. And for those of us that, that don't, or those people, I know Carnoustie, I've never played it, but I know it. Um, but can you just um, describe the course? First of all, it's an open championship course, but describe how tough the course is and what your mindset was like during that round when you shot 64. So just take us through that experience. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely um, bang on. I mean, it's a, it's a it's arguably one of the hardest golf courses in the world. Um, I know that the the Open Championship competitors rate it as probably the toughest. Um, and and to be honest, Andy, I, I had played Carnoustie probably five or six times before then, and I think my best score had been like seventy five, seventy six, which. It's good, you know, you're happy with that. And and I think what was interesting that day, I had been playing very, very well leading up. It was a, it was a four-round uh, golf tournament and it was in different courses in that area. Uh, a little bit like the, the Dunhill where they play a different course every day. Um, so, I, so, I, so I did well in the other two courses and I, th- I think I had a two-shot lead or something, but now I've got to go to Carnoustie and all my fellow uh, pros are going to the, the, the lesser, uh, tougher of, of the courses. And um, I just went there in a very relaxed mind and I really went there with no expectation. And mm-hmm. I thought, come on, you're in, you're in a good position. You know, you're, you're leading this tournament. So, you know, go to Carnoustie and just try and make sure nothing bad happens. You know, if you go into the rough, uh, you know, take your medicine, chip it out, make bogey and move on because it is that kind of golf course that you, you know, if you try and get greedy, you're, you're going to, you're going to shoot a few numbers. So, and, and it was interesting. I remember when Paul Laurie won in 99, he said the same to his caddy. He said the goal this week is to play 72 holes and not have a double bogey. And, and there was only three players in the field that week when Paul won that never had a double bogey that week. Paul was one of them, and Justin Leonard was one of the other ones, and he was in the playoff, the three-man playoff with Paul. So, you know, so it, was, it was a great tactic where you saw other players going into the rough and they were trying to hit a five-iron when they should be hitting wedge out. Yeah. So, so I went there in 1994, very much. Uh, 94, very much with that attitude. This is a brute of a golf course. Just you know, keep it, keep it down the middle. You don't need to do anything silly. Just get round here, and, and 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 just you know, take any medicine that you have to take. And and just I got off to a great start. I, I birdied the first, and I birdied the, the third, the fourth, uh, the sixth. So all of a sudden, you know, I was four under after six. But even then, I'm coming off the sixth thinking, fantastic, I've got a bit of a cushion. You know, because in my head, I'm thinking, if you can shoot 73, 74, 70, that's fine. So I'm now thinking, well, it's fine. I I can now almost drop six shots if I need to, and I'm still going to be happy. So with that, again, that's no expectation. You know, the next thing, a birdie 11 uh, to go five under, and, and... the 12th was a par five that day and it was the first time I thought hey wait a minute five under 12 is a good par five birdie chance I could birdie there get it to six you know and it was only then I thought something's pretty special is happening here and it, and it turned out Andy I actually eagled 12 I had a That's great sweet. two iron to about six feet and uh, I knocked it in to go seven under, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness! But you've, you've still got arguably one of the, the hardest uh, finishing stretch in golf, 
uh, and ended up, you know, I, I birdied the, the, the 13th, birdied 14, and all of a sudden I'm nine under with 40 play, and I'm thinking, this is getting silly now, you know, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, and, and you know, I bogeyed 16, the par three, 245 yards, which everybody bogeys, you know, there's no disgrace there. And, and I came off, and and again, Andy, I've been asked many, many times by people, you know, oh, that was amazing, you know, what happened that day? Did you hold three bunker shots? Did you chip in twice? Did you did you hold everything on the greens? And and again, Andy, I, I hate sounding that, you know, that this is boastful, but I never did anything. Out, I, I didn't do anything silly. It was just a great ball striking round. And, and, and my approach shots went in, you know, 12, and I took my chances. I think the longest put a hold was about 13, 14 feet. It was nothing. There was nothing silly went on. It was just a. It was just a, a, a great round of golf and one that I'm very, very proud of to this day. Um, you know, so you know, I, I, it was amazing just the, the peace that I was at because I, I say I was going there with no expectations, almost waiting for Carnoustie to beat me up, yeah. and, and I was ready to accept that. You know, and say okay, Carnoustie. You know, just bring it on, Curtis. They beat me up as you always do. Um, and and after six holes, I'm thinking I'm four under. I might just beat Curtis back up today. You know, for, for a bit of revenge. And so I was in a good place uh, uh, mentally. The, the only time I get really really nervous was on 18, because um, I knew the course record was 65. Uh, Tom Watson and Jack Newton in the 1975 Open. So I knew nobody had ever shot 64 at Curtis. And I'll never forget my yardage. I had a good drive off the last into a slight breeze and I had 213 yards to the, the middle. And, you know, back then, you know, a, th- a three iron, that's a long way for a three iron, but it was really the only club I could go with. It was either a three iron or a three wood. And I thought a three wood's going to go too far. And, and a three iron, I'm going to have, you know, you've got the burn short of the green. And I'm thinking, well, I've got enough club to go over the burn because to carry the burn, I only need to hit it about 185, 190. And then as long as I get over that burn and it finishes somewhere in the area, I'm, I'm delighted with that. So, so I hit this three iron on the back foot as hard as I could. And uh, I actually thinned it a little bit, but it was a good thin. It was a, it was a proper, it went in there and, it, and yeah. it flew fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, and and it you know landed and actually ended up pretty good shot. It went about twenty feet past the hole, but I do remember my hands sweating on that three iron because yeah. I'm thinking, you know, a, a wee negative started creeping in. It'd be a shame if I duff this in the burn or pull it out of bounds. You know, you've got a chance here to make history, and and for God's sake, don't don't do anything crazy. You know, you know. Yeah. I mean, so a good thing, a good thing. I was delighted with, um, and uh, yeah, an incredibly special day. And, and you know, I, I, the night that Tommy Fleetwood beat it, you know, my my phone and my texts and my Facebook went crazy. People, that as soon as you hold the putt, and people were texting me actually saying, "Are you okay?" Big yeah. man, are you all right? Are you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm laughing, and I'm like, yeah, I'm absolutely fine. In fact, I was sitting, I was sitting in Krakow, in Poland, uh, with my wee girlfriend at the time, having a beer when it happened. And I was, and I'm like, guys, I'm fine. Uh, uh, you know, a course record nowadays lasts about three months if you're lucky. Yeah. I've had this 23 years, That's and I've huge. kicked the backside out of it for 23 years. Yeah. I've spoken dinners about it, and I'll continue to speak at dinners about it. It doesn't matter, and I was delighted. It was I, I, I was delighted that it was a, a well-known 
amazing young guy in the world of golf that, that it, it would have been worse for me if it had been like a, a two handicapper in the Carnoustie medal you know that went out yeah, and beat yeah. the record the fact yeah. that it's Tommy Fleetwood who I think will be possibly number one in the world one day pretty sure he'll win a major and he's a really nice guy and I'm thinking well if I was to have anybody he would be up there in my top ten you know to say you've got a choice Alan you know, Tiger would have been my, my first choice, but you know, somebody like Tommy Fleetwood taking the record away, I, I can live with that. You know, so it was no it was genuinely no big deal to me. I'm going 23 years. I, I kept waiting every every year at the Dunhill or every year at the Open, oh, it'll go this time, it'll go this time. And it never did. So so I, I I've been very lucky. Yeah, and, and when you when you think about that and, and the story, uh, I didn't really hear much about the Tiger story, but uh Ben Crenshaw and Tiger Woods, uh you ended up playing with them in in uh, I for, I forget was a, what year, but that was the year after. It was the year the after year, the course record. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they obviously wanted you to kind of take them through the course. Is that what it was? But talk about that experience playing with Tiger and what those interactions were like, and and uh, what that experience was like. Yeah, it was it was utterly amazing. I have to say, Andy, and I, I was more intimidated by Crenshaw because Crenshaw had just won the Masters for the second time, and that was the one he dedicated to Harvey Pennick on the 18th when he he collapsed. And Crenshaw was always a hero of mine, um, so I was more nervous or more um, overawed playing with Crenshaw than I was with Tiger because Tiger was probably only 19 or 20. We didn't know an awful lot about. Him. Well, he just won. I think he just won his second U.S. Amateur, and um, so he was still a big name. Um, but, you know, how it happened, um, uh, Ben Crenshaw always takes the same caddy in Scotland uh, when he's here, a chap called Bobby Milne. And it turned out that Tiger, and uh, Tiger, Bobby and Ben were in the, the players' lounge the night before the practice round. And uh, they're looking at the tee sheet for the next day. And Bobby Milne said to Crenshaw and Tiger, that guy playing at 11.31 tomorrow, he's playing on his own. He's just a young assistant pro from Glasgow in Scotland and, and he shot the course record here last year 64 and Bobby said you might want to play with this guy and Tiger turned around to Crenshaw and said hey Ben that's good enough for me and that was it they put the two names on the starting sheet I didn't know I genuinely oh, wow. I didn't know about this conversation so I'm standing on the first tee the next morning at 11.31 on my own and the next thing you know there's nobody about there's no crowds and the next thing, quite a lot of people start milling about the first tee, and, and, and I'm and I'm joking to myself. They're all here to see me hitting a ball, and then and then more people started arriving, more people started arriving, and the next thing, Crenshaw and Tiger appeared, and and, and I just I said, "On you go, guys! That you know, you go, on you go." And Crenshaw is looking at me, and Crenshaw came over and put his hand out, and he said, "No, we." you're Alan aren't you so we'd love to play with you today we awesome. had a great score here last year and, and we'd love to play with you and, and I was just like I went from being so calm and cool and standing there on my own and now I'm just a wreck you know <laughs> and, and the next thing I mean there's probably a couple of thousand people around the first tee now and, um, and, and and that was it off we went and you know what Andy you know it was an amazing amazing 18 holes of golf for a couple of reasons uh, you know Tiger I had never seen or heard the, the ball come off the club face like that in my life before I'd never seen power like that before um, and, and the other reason was just how nice they, they both were and I know Tiger got a lot of bad press over, over his career but Tiger that day was the most mature and 
you know, just lovely, nice guy to play golf with. And he was asking me lots of questions every hole. You know, Alan, you know, where's the bailout here? And what would you do here? And when you shot 64, what did you do in this hole? And blah, blah, blah. And that was brilliant. And Crenshaw, honestly, Andy, uh, you know, for, from, for playing golf, uh, professional golf all my life and only played in the European Tour for one year. So I, I haven't played with that many big names. But that was the nicest man I have ever played golf with as a golf professional. And I can put my hand in my heart and say that was the nicest man I ever played golf with as a fellow professional. And it was every time I was talking to him and walking around, I'm thinking, geez, I cannot believe I'm playing with a Masters champion. He's this nice a guy. He's so genuine. He was so genuine. It was just wonderful. Wonderful. And... Um, a great experience and you know we came off and, and we, we had lunch in the Carnoustie Clubhouse after and again we just chewed the fat we talked a little bit about Scotland and Tiger was asking me lots of questions about Scotland and, and he went to the toilet I remember this in Crenshaw um, I said to Crenshaw God he asked a lot of questions about Scotland eh? and uh, Crenshaw was laughing and he said oh Alan he said every new country he goes to on the flight over, he just he buys a book on that country, Japan, Scotland, you know, Australia, and he reads up on the culture. He likes to know the history. And, and he was asking me questions, Andy, that I didn't know the answer of. And he knew the answer of Scotland, of the history and the heritage, and I didn't. So it, 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 was, it was just a, an amazing experience and one that I've got nothing but great memories of. Ah, that's amazing. And something that you can hold close to your heart and not obviously many people can say that they've experienced that. And when you think of, you know, your experience playing pro, and so I guess this goes full circle back to the belief in yourself to take out a 40,000 pound loan to kind of support yourself in that, in those initial days on tour. And, and you, you know, <clears throat> willingly admit that you, you just didn't make it. And, and um, so you were, yeah. you were left in debt because you had won very little money you lost your card so that must have been yeah. you know a real low point and for any kind of professional athlete who goes through that maybe you know every professional athlete at some point goes through that transition of no longer playing the game professionally and and a lot of people yeah. a lot of athletes have a, a great difficulty letting go of uh, because they feel like they're letting go of their identity who yep. they are as a person in this case you know you were a golfer so you were you had to not give up that identity but can you just talk about transitioning from having your european tour card losing the card and then trying to figure out what was next in your life yeah i, I was okay with it i must admit i lost my card in 97 i am having only played 16 events and that was my, my one and only year on tour um, and I learned a lot that year and I thought, you know, get back to school and let's um, go back there because you, you will have learned so much in that time. You'll be a better player. You won't be as nervous. Um, so let's get back to tour school. And I, I was pretty confident going back to tour school that I would get the job done and get back there in 1998. And to be honest, Andy, to, 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 you know, going into tour school, I, I started really playing quite poorly. Uh, I've always had really very good rhythm and, and I, I started becoming a bit jumpy and a bit snatchy and I went to tour school that, that year after I'd lost my card and I played so poorly, really I mean, I, I was awful, uh, you know shooting high 70s and, and you know, never never came close to making the four round cut, not even close and, and it, that was a bit of a shock to the system and then 
I thought, okay, well, next year, 1999, I'll, I'll, I'll go back playing Scotland again and get back playing in pro-ams and playing regional stuff and get my confidence back up. And, and then we'll, we'll reassess at the end of 99 what we're going to do. And uh, 99, oh my goodness, I, I, I played golf like a man with four arms and six legs. It was awful. I had lost, I had lost uh, all my, you know, talking earlier about natural talent. There was nothing there. I, I don't know, you know, I, I got the, I got the uh, chipping yips, um, which came from nowhere because I was always a great chipper of the ball, and that came from absolutely nowhere and couldn't get rid of it. Um, I, you know, and 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 that went right through the bag. I started becoming really um, anxious with the driver and I was always a very good driver of the ball. It was always, you know, down the middle. I was never the longest. I wasn't the shortest. I was probably middle of the road for length, but I was a good driver of the ball. Um, and I, and I, I just lost it. That year, 99, was awful. And, and, and really at the end of that year, you know, I'd done so poorly in, in Scotland and the region where in the years before that, I, I was the number one guy in Scotland. I was clearing up. I was winning everything. And guys are looking at me. And, and you know, at this point, I'm, I'm not even, I'm, I'm like 30 years old. I'm not an old man. You know what I mean? And you're still thinking a lot of, a lot of great times ahead. And and do you know what, Andy? The timing was perfect. At the end of that year, I was at a, I was at a dinner. I was speaking at a dinner and uh, just got talking to this guy. He, he, he you know, he'd just taken over uh, four hotels and one of them had a golf course attached to it. And he just, he phoned me up two or three weeks later and he said, I've just got a good feeling about this. I don't know what it is. He said, I only met you at the dinner, but we're looking for someone to go in and head up our golf course that's attached to the hotel. And he says, but it's a type of golf manager role. And, you know, but if you do take it on, you know, you're, you're actually you know, your playing opportunities are going to be so few because we really want you to throw yourself at this job. You know, the hotel, the golf course, it's been in receivership from the bank. It's in a terrible state, the golf course, the hotel. Uh, we just want you to come on board and, and you know, but it's, it's you're, you're not going to be playing much golf. And the timing of that was perfect because I needed a new challenge. And, and I thought at this point, I'm not going back to tour school anyway. I'm done with it. Uh, I can't even play well in Scotland anymore and that was the break I needed and you know Andy I threw myself into hotel hotel management as well really um, you know I went in there to, to, to sort of run the golf operations and very quickly I, I was involved you know I was you know the, the general manager would go on a holiday and I was in charge of the hotel so I'm dealing with housekeeping I'm dealing with the chefs I'm dealing with HR I'm dealing with everything and I loved it absolutely loved it and and I stayed there for uh, six, seven years and I reckon in that six, seven years I probably played about oh, I could probably count in two hands how many rounds of golf I had even, even just bounce games I, I just I wasn't interested and I didn't miss it I really didn't miss it because I was so enjoying this new challenge um, but then Funny, when I left there, um, the next job, I had a little bit of flexibility and I thought, oh, I'm going to go and start hitting a few balls, just just enjoy the sunshine, get back out. And all of a sudden, you know, it started coming back. The, the, the natural stuff was there. I felt I felt loose. You know, the chipping was, was back. You know, the chipping had went from, I couldn't hit a green from 20 yards and that was back and I had worked on it. So again, it was going back to golf with that sort of no pressure mindset and you know no expectation and I'm delighted to tell you Andy that was gosh that was uh, maybe 12 13 years ago that I came back after the seven and, and I have so enjoyed being back playing again that last 12 13 years 
uh, competitively, playing with my pals, going away, bounce. You know, I used to know. You know, guys, guys would phone me all the time. We've got a tea time at the Old Course in Andrews. We've got a tea time at Glen Eagles, and I'm making up excuses not to go yeah. in that seven years because because I just I wouldn't enjoy it. And these were friends. Yeah, they're yeah. lovely people. And I'm going, oh, no, no, I'm okay. I'm too busy, blah, blah. So so the last 12, 13 years um, has been great, you know, and, you know, the last few years I've actually won pro-arms in Scotland and I'm, I'm like the oldest man in the field, you know, like yeah. up against all the guys in their 20s and 30s and they're bombing at 30, 40 yards past me. But I still know how to get around a golf course. And I've still, when I get into that position that maybe I get to the ninth and I'm a couple under, you know, I, I want to go three under, and I want to go four. I, I, there's, because I'm thinking, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter if you if you go three over, four over. So just keep going, try yeah. and get a birdie at the next, and, and it doesn't matter. You know, you know. So the whole mindset's been totally different the last uh, 11, 12 years. So, so that guy did me a real favour, saying to me, you know, you're going to this hotel for however long it be, and you won't be playing golf. And at the time, I was like, oh well, you know, and and you know what, it turned out for the best. Yeah, and when I hear your story, you know, you, I, I hear very clearly that you went from being process focused and just the process of, of creating shots and and not being outcomes focused, and the results will come as a result of focusing on the process. Yeah. And then it sounds like you put pressure on yourself and probably became more outcome focused, which then just kind of got you thinking too much and removed you again from your natural ability just to hit the ball uh, with a natural kinetic you know kinetic chain and so it's it also sounds like you moving into the hotel industry was was just a nice transition into refocusing yourself on something else and finding meaning and purpose in that and then as you said you go back and now you're process focused on golf again hitting the shots that you once hit uh so it's and uh, anybody listening to this who's trying to improve on something in their life to let go of outcomes and to focus on the process of becoming uh, better every day that idea of one percent better every day um, and being yeah. process focused and so if we go full circle back to you know your dedication to the game and from five years old picking up the club and knowing that this is what you want to do in your life let's go full circle back to now golfing and the company that you're working for and how you've devoted yeah. yourself to really inspiring the the younger generation, the, the youth of today to find a love and passion in the game. So talk a little bit about that transition into golfing and, and uh, the work that you're doing there. Yeah, and it has been a big transition, you know, coming from that hotel management, director of golf, general manager route, shirt and tie, you know, um, totally different mindset. So golfing has come at a great time in my career. Um, I spoke passionately earlier about playing golf as a little boy with my with my parents, my big brother. And, and you know, I, I really relate to, to working for a, a golf company that, um, you know, is all about grassroots kids. And, and I was lucky. My mum and dad played golf. My brother played golf. We, you know, my dad owned a pub. Um, you know, I had a comfortable upbringing um, where there's a lot of kids in Scotland, you know, they, they'll never get the chance to play golf and, and, and we can get in there and get them to a school or get them to a golf course where they don't need equipment. They just need to turn up and start enjoying themselves. And then, you know, and then their little journey begins. So it's been a breath of fresh air for me. And, and I love, love 
I love nothing more, putting something back into the game. Uh, and this is the perfect tonic for me. So as I said earlier, um, golfing really has sort of three main areas to the business, and that is our uh, award-winning uh, Kids Clubs for Juniors, um, which have been awarded by Golf Digest, the best clubs, best junior clubs in the world, uh, three out of the last five years, which is amazing. And as I say, we do a, a, a My Pathway to Golf app, um, which isn't a coaching um, a video or uh, sorry a coaching app it's a, an app that gives the, the pros a structure to follow and it's a great way to communicate with the children and mum and dad through the app um, and the coach can send the kids um, skills tests that they can do at home they can do them in the garden they can do them in the local park um, you know there's a leaderboard on there uh, there's life skills on there there's fitness it's, it's just fantastic so there's that engagement between the coach and the children and the family that in all the years I was growing up golf, that was never apparent. You know, you would get dropped off for coaching and, and mum and dad would pick you back up an hour later and would say, how is coaching today? And you would say, fine. And that was the end of the conversation. And that's the same with rugby or tennis or football. And, and the kids are still like that. Whereas with the app, you know, mum and dad say, oh, come on then, let's see where you are in the leaderboard. Let's see where your friends are and let's see what you're doing next and let's see what level you're at. Are you at gold? Are you at diamond? You know, what, you know, so there's lots of great engagement there. Um, and, and, and it makes it easy for the coach as well to follow a, a, a sort of structure and a process. And then, as I say, we've got our schools programme where fantastic education programme where we get uh, golf professionals or the teachers um, to to, to um, deliver our program, and and it's not again, and it's it's not about coaching. It's just about playing games in the in the in the PE hall or in the grounds of the school. It's getting a club in their hand. It's getting them to say, you know, try and hit try and hit three balls into that. Try and hit it through those posts, um, whatever. Um, and you, you don't even show the kids how to hold the club. It's just you know, very basic, and let them go on with it and let them enjoy it. Um, and, and all the games they play in the PE hall or in the or in the playground uh, are all relating back to their numeracy or literacy skills. So we, we create games where they're learning uh, from an education point as well as being introduced to the game of golf. So so we tick a lot of boxes with what we're doing there. Yeah, and you also talk about the differentiation. So so now let's you know segue into our the reason why you and I are talking really is that. I yeah. met you through my good pal Evan Bryceland, yeah. uh, who's a fantastic golfer, um, club champion here a couple of years ago, and I love spending time with Evan on the golf course. Um, I've known him for for a number of years and have played a lot of golf with him. And you know, we have this vision here in our unique community to really take advantage of the fact that we have a world class facility here, and we have a world class golf course, uh, golf facilities, practice range. And then my passion is physical education and health. So I, I coach, I'm an instructional coach for PE teachers. So my philosophy is very much aligned with some research being done by uh, a team of researchers in Canada, Ireland, uh, and Australia um, called the Meaningful PE Framework. And it's all about planting the seeds for young people to be intrinsically motivated to pursue physical activity under their own terms and conditions. So it's not about control and compliance. It's not about having to play like every single sport. It's taking a look at community, what's on offer in the community, and then building a PE program around that. 
So we're trying to really emphasize golf in our PE program. That's why we've connected. So we're looking at the possibility of bringing um, your equipment into uh, teach uh, an extended unit in golf uh, in order to get the kids to take action and want to go to the course and begin practicing there. So one of the keys to teaching and learning is, first of all, autonomy. The kids have choice over what they're doing, but also the element of differentiation that all kids are not coming in at the same entry point. So you have equipment, in particular the balls, uh, that you that uh, students hit are differentiated. So talk about the equipment, uh, in particular the balls and how there's different types of balls depending on the level of golfer. Yeah, so so the, the equipment, Andy, at, at really at the, the beginner's level, so we've got two ranges of clubs. One's the GFK, golfing for kids, obviously, and one's the GFK Plus. Um, so the GFK is really aimed at three to 10-year-olds who have not really been introduced to the game so so the, the, the heads are much much bigger um, the sweet spot is about 70% uh, bigger and the clubs are about 35% deep deep grooves uh, fantastic shafts in them and they've been made so it, it's so easy for the kids to get the ball up in the air and the kids love seeing the ball get so that the deep grooves get the ball airborne much much quicker and and the kids really at that age we, we've got a thing called a, a flipper ball which a flipper ball is probably in between the size of a golf ball and a tennis ball um and it's a it's, it's a foam ball um but they're great to hit i love hitting them they're great fun I, I hit a seven iron with a flipper ball probably about maybe 105, 110 yards. But again, you can shape it, you can fade it, you can draw it. Awesome. And again, because it's lighter, the kids get the ball up in there very, very quickly. Um, you know, there, there's still kids out there getting introduced to the game at three, four, five years old with a, with a blade, you know, a, a blade five iron and a pro V1 ball. I mean, that's ridiculous to be, you know, yeah. you need to start off with bigger and, and get their confidence and get them, you know, uh, you know, you know, even kids playing, you know, um, you know, tennis at a very, very young age. The tennis rackets, the, the, the paddles are massive and the balls are bigger because, you know, if the kids are standing there with a, a blade five iron and a pro V, they're going to miss it most of the time and they're going to get pretty dis disheartened right away. Yeah. And even when they connect with it, it's just going to run along the ground and it's going, this isn't much fun. So we try and make it fun for them and the GFK does that and that's where the balls come in. Balls are The balls are so important. Um and then once the kids have got to a reasonable level, um, then we can maybe introduce them to the, the GFK Plus, which is a beautiful little sort of cavity blade. And these are for the more advanced kids who, who have really embraced getting into golf and have become pretty good at it. So at that point then, yes, it's time to go to real golf balls and get them on the golf course and get them proper clubs and get them proper equipment. But that journey from you know picking up the club for the first time it's all about getting the ball in the air and making it as easy as possible. And you're not being in groups where the kids get the ball in the air the first time. And they're, oh, I mean, they're, you want to see their face. They're so happy. Oh, look at that. It's, I've hit it in the air. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I've done that. And, and that's you got them. That's you got them hooked. So so, so it's, it's very, very clever and very good. And, and you know, I think, you know, it, it, was a, it was a little bit of a, it was a little, bit of a gap in the market there because when you actually looked at junior clubs you know 10 years ago they were all lovely looking but they were still quite difficult to hit you know and and, and everybody was still dropping a, a real golf ball in front of a 
a beginner kid at three, four, five. So we changed that uh, mindset a little bit and it, and it works for us. And, it, and we see a lot of enjoyment with the kids. And, and, and then again, you get a mum who um, has never played golf and she's seen the child having so much fun. She's going, oh, give, give me a shot. And she hits the flipper ball. And next thing, mum's got it up there. And yeah. she's giving it, oh, fantastic. You know, maybe I'll go for a golf lesson. So do you know what I mean? It's, it's all about at that stage, having fun and making it as easy as you can for them. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, I remember trying to teach a golf unit in, uh, when I first started teaching PE, and it was like the classic cut-down club that's too heavy for the kids, right? Yeah. And then it, all I had was tennis balls, but the tennis ball is too big, and then, it, you know, the hosel yeah. catches it, and then it goes yeah. sideways. So yeah. you can't have a lot of success with it. So I'm looking forward to really exploring the potential more of bringing golf in. And so just for the sake of the listeners, when you say golf in, it's not G-O-L-F-I-N-G. Can you spell it for the, for the customer or for the so listeners? It's G-O-L-P-H-I-N. Yeah. So it's, it's golf in. And uh, so and, and more, more known as golf in, golf in for kids. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's where the, awesome. the the GFK range comes from, the golfing for kids uh, equipment range. So, yep. So for for the listeners out there, G O L P H I N, and you can find us anywhere on the website, and you'll be directed to our fantastic website, and you can have a good look around there at everything we do. Yeah, awesome, and and we're really hoping to have some success. So we've had a lot of success with skateboarding and cycling in our community because we have a skateboard park. So, of course, yeah. we're going to have a skateboarding unit um, as well as cycling. So we do an extended cycling unit. So we just got done having 700 kids in our elementary school, six or 700 Fantastic. kids riding bicycles for nine wow. straight weeks. Uh, so what yeah. I've done is, you know, I'm back teaching. So I'm on the leadership team. But because of COVID, we're kind of stretched out and we needed more teachers. So I jumped back into teaching uh, a few PE classes. So. Um, I you know, was teaching the the cycling unit, and then I decided to continue the cycling, or not the cycling unit, but uh, create a, a park, kind of the idea of park games uh, or community games. So the kids are still on their bike. It's Ramadan right now, so we can't really do it because we have a lot of kids fasting, but... The idea was that the kids could drive to the course, and we have a uh, foot golf course on the driving range. So I thought I'll introduce them to foot golf and then maybe frisbee golf, and then maybe just bring tennis balls out. And instead of throwing frisbees, you know, they just throw the tennis ball into the big hole and then slowly make the transition to, to golf. So, but not force the kids to play golf. They have the option of still doing foot golf or they can learn how to chip and putt. So we've started an after-school program, which uh, golf program, which I'm leading that I plan on running all of next year in order to really get the kids connected to the game of golf, to bring families over to the course more so that we have this connection to our, our wonderful community and what's on offer here. So that's why we're really going to go yeah. full force with, with golf and moving forward because we think it's so personally relevant to our context here in in where we live in Saudi Arabia. So, um, Alan, just to uh, segue into the last question that I have for you, and I, I ask all my guests this, regardless if they're an author or, you know, a CEO okay. or whatever. Um, but, you know, COVID has uh, basically kicked everybody's ass around the world. Um, yeah. How have you stayed inspired over the last year? Like, what has been your go-to to kind of keep you motivated and and moving forward in your life in, in uh, positive ways. 
Well, I think from for golfing as a business, Andy, that was a, a huge part of our motivation during lockdown because as a team, we sat down and said, right, okay, this is the position we're in. So what can we do to keep kids engaged at home? And, and we came up with some great ideas. You know, we came up with a, a, a play at home initiative where the kids could, or the mums and dad could purchase from us for like £49 and they got uh, a couple of clubs, they got the flipper balls I'm telling you about, we sent them a couple of cones and we sent them a couple of ideas that they could do things in the garden while they were at home um, and that, that you know, and, and we were doing um, weekly quizzes with the kids where they could email in their answers and then I was doing a, a sort of live uh, draw at the end telling them, you know, well done kids, you, you know, 50 of you get 10 out of 10 this week and, and some of you get 8 out of 10 and here's the winner gets a set of golf and clubs, blah, blah, blah. And we really enjoyed doing that. And and, and so, so we were able to keep engaged with the children um, and I was also able to keep engaged with golf clubs and uh, golf professionals and coaches. I'm like, guys, you're not going anywhere, so let's get you on a Zoom presentation and let's let me tell you all about golfing. Let me tell you about equipment. Let me tell you about education. Let me tell you about my pathway to golf. And 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 we had a lot of success with that, which was great. So that kept us going. Um, for me personally, uh, you know, I, I, I love being outside. I, I, I really struggle with working from home, although I, although it's a big part of what we do now, and, and I think. Many companies around the world will be working from home now for, for the rest of their days, and, 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 I, and I don't think I'll be any different. Uh, but, you know, up until lockdown, you know, I, I was on the road a lot, going to visit venues, see my fellow pros, you know, go and meet them, have a coffee, maybe have two or three appointments a day, stay overnight somewhere. And I enjoy all that. I enjoy, I'm a people person. I enjoy talking to people. Um, so I, I struggled to begin with. Um but now I've just kind of adapted and, and during lockdown I've, I've never sort of walked as much and I was never a great cyclist but I went and sort of you know, you can hire bikes in Edinburgh and I was going out and hiring a bike each day and, and you know, because you were allowed to do exercise in your local area and, I, and I'm not one for the gym at all I've never, never been, at, I've probably been in a gym like twice in my life and even then it was against uh, my will um, so, 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 but I really enjoyed being out walking and I really enjoyed walking around Edinburgh and taking my bike and driving around Edinburgh and see, you know, I've lived in Edinburgh for 15, 16 years and I was finding little streets that didn't know existed. And, and you know, so mental health-wise, I, I was great. I, I really, I, I sort of embraced lockdown as best I could um, by keeping myself busy with work and, and getting out more as well and, 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 you know, spending a bit of quality time walking, cycling, and just enjoying, you know, being outdoors. So, so I was fine. But there's a lot of close friends of mine, golf pros who couldn't get to the golf course that, all they have is golf and, and you know at least I've got my job and I've got other things going on and, and they, they, they they have struggled they, they really have struggled so so I was phoning them a lot Zoom calls come on guys let's have a let's have a, a Zoom beer and let's have a chat and you know um, you know and I'm pretty upbeat so so yeah, yeah. so I, I was fine personally the company did I think we did great as a company to get through it and, and we hopefully now will kick on and and, you know, hopefully COVID, it's always going to be around, Andy. We all know that. But hopefully now, you know, I think most of the government are, are you know, the governing bodies and, and uh, prime ministers and leaders and presidents all around the world, I think I think collectively they've all said, look, this is irreversible this time. Let, let's just crack on, you know, yeah. and let's just try and contain it. Let's get everybody vaccine, 
But for the economy's sake, for people's lives' sake, let's let's just live with this damn thing and, and try and try and make them, you know, try and make best of it as we can. And I hope that's the I hope that's what they are going to do. And it's a shame. It's always going to be there, Andy. But we've got other diseases in the world that are always going to be there, and, and we seem to manage around them so we can we can beat this damn thing. Yeah, yeah, great, um, great insight and uh, great perspective. And I just want to conclude by saying that Scotland's a, a very special place to me. And, and uh, I went for the first time. Uh, my wife surprised me with a Christmas present that was like, you're going to go on a solo golf trip. You've always wanted to go to Scotland. And I literally, I was so excited. And it, it was, it was, uh, I guess it was 2014. It was when, when uh, Europe won the Ryder Cup at Glen Eagles. Eagles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I reached out. I had read because it was so busy because of the, the Ryder Cup, I couldn't you know get on a lot of the courses I wanted to get on. And I had read this golf book uh, that uh, the author had gone to Gullen. So I decided, I said, I'm going there and I'll just bunker down there for the week. I didn't know a soul, yeah. but I put on Twitter that I was going to yeah. go visit uh, Gullen. And if there's any golfers out there who want to join me, uh, yeah. please connect with me and yeah. mike robson connected yeah. with me and i've wow, been fantastic. great buds uh, that's, so that's, i played that's yeah, a nice story i played okay. golf with uh gullen one gullen two gullen three with mike the whole week and then i've been back since Brilliant. five five times i've brought my family back to gullen i i i love scotland but in particular i love yeah. east lothian and and that that region so it's a holds yeah. a real special place in my heart uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today alan uh, can you just oh that's lovely uh, share the social media links for golf in uh, and where people can find it. Yeah. So just uh, really just uh, www.golfin.com. Uh, you'll find us there. Um, you'll find us on Facebook, Twitter. Um, but if you go into just uh, www.golfin.com and remember folks, it's G O L P H I N. You can catch us there, but we're on Twitter, Facebook, and you'll see all the links there. And, and Andy, we're really excited to be working with you guys out in Saudi and uh, we're looking forward to a, a healthy and, um, you know, great friendships along the way and a great, great uh, relationship with you. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. So just stay on the line. I'm just going to close off the show and we'll say our goodbye. So uh, again, thank you, Alan. And everybody, uh, thank you for listening to this episode with Alan Tate. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vasily.